Is it recording? There was a lot. Yeah, we are. We're, about. Okay. Oh, oh, did we not no. not want to start? It, I was I was gonna go hey, off on something else. To go. But let's go. Right. Let's get let's get this done and then we'll chat. All right, we'll chat after for as long. All right, everybody. All right. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Hilliard Beacon Audio Companion. This is Volume Three. It is March 9th, twenty twenty-three. I am Jordan Smith, as usual, fellas. Welcome to the show. I'm joined by Tim Hoffman and Gavin Corvo. Thank you, Jordan. Absolutely, absolutely. <clears throat> Uh, another wonderful week here in Hilliard of highs and lows, specifically low of 18, I think it was, the other morning when I came in, <laughs> maybe high of 70. Uh, it's it was definitely in the 70s. The usual uh, weird March roller coaster has another commenced. Another nature is Powerball, 72, 19, yes. 94. Draw, random, draw, <laughs> random. Uh, let's get right into it. Uh, guys, we're not only creating the news here uh signal uh to noise ratio improvement for hilliard but we're also being featured in the news our our little endeavor was uh featured in a piece by axios reporter tyler buchanan um you know he got in touch with kevin uh first and and got a little bit of his story directly uh as to what happened specifically with the hilliard this week and kind of like the arc of kevin's career Yep, and then uh, more recently about what we're doing here and what we're trying to do uh, here for Hilliard. So uh, it was really nice. I thought he did a great job, and it's interesting to see them doing this in the format. In the piece, they mention some of the other localities trying to do similar things. You know, there are people trying to do this all over the place, Um, and the reason for that is uh, what is in (laughs) in artfully, I would say uh termed news desert (laughs) news News deserts deserts. are uh growing in ohio specifically and i'm referencing here a piece by author caitlin johnson in policy matters ohio this was a couple of years ago actually but i just liked how she summed up uh the situation at that time says here in six short years ohio's newspaper journalists declined by 43 percent according to policy matters ohio In 2012, Ohio had 2,870 newsroom staffers to monitor city council meetings, photograph high school games, and design the front page. By 2018, there were 1,640 newspaper reporters, editors, photographers, and designers. Since 2004, all Ohio newspaper industry jobs, which include the clerks, truck drivers, and people who work in circulation, fell by 58%. And this was... Uh, 2019. So this is citing 2018 statistics. That's prior to COVID. Sure. That's prior to you know even further maturation in the social digital absolutely uh, spaces. And I can only assume that when uh, we find another piece with more recent reporting reflecting uh, some of these reductions that have happened um, and have affected Kevin, it's only going to be worse. Um, and that's why it's important that we're here doing the thing that we're doing. And uh, I thank you for that. And then and this week, um, we did a piece on uh, Hilliard's railroads uh, in light of the recent events in East Palestine, Ohio, uh, close to where I grew up. Uh, we decided to look at uh, the situation here in Hilliard. We have Norfolk Southern rail lines here in and through town and we have csx rail lines here in and through town and kevin uh you've lived here your whole life and in your piece in the piece on the beacon 
Uh, you talk a little bit about the Hilliard uh, history of rail. Why don't you Why don't you give us a little I bit do. of that here? Uh, I added that to the story. Uh, I was aware of two of the derailments that are mentioned in the story. Um, uh, the ammunition and the... Yes, uh, the ammunition one is uh, was pretty well known, at least by the generation that lived here. Uh, the front page of the Evening Dispatch or maybe the Citizen Journal, but one of them is or was on display up at the fire station. Uh, and uh, Big doings it, on it. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting to watch how reporting, or even to read how stories were written in the 1950s. 96-point right. uh, type. Uh, Hilliard's was paralyzed in the headline. And just the color with, that reporters use to describe things. I mean, maybe it's how people spoke back then a little bit. But the narrative is just different in 1960s more, and 1950s. Purple, prose. A little more so. <laughs> uh, so there's pretty vivid accounts of what witnesses said about the explosions of the, of the shells. Um, and uh, they, I, but the accounts are they kind of just stood back and contained it, but just wow. allowed it to burn off and uh, there were some explosions throughout the night that derailment was January 2nd into January 3rd 1952 for that one right uh, then I found that there was a derailment of just refrigerator cars in 1955 along the same section of rails and I didn't find the accounts of any others since then I would be surprised if there weren't mm. and I didn't spend a lot of time but but a quick Google search on Hilliard right. railroad derailment uh, turned up the, the top hits were those two incidents, mm -hmm. and I didn't see um, any any others in the top hits. Sure. Um, and I used a little bit in this piece. Um, I use a little bit of my own yeah. knowledge. I mean, having grown up here, I know the train stopped and blocked right. Cemetery Road and Main Street. I thought that was about you know a little bit of that. You know, you you talk to the current chief uh, Grail. Yes. And uh, it was kind of interesting to, to hear you bring that history uh, mm -hmm. of how they used to have to base certain amount of equipment south of they Cemetery did. Road just they, to make sure. They had they it at have. Waco, I think it was. Um, again, I didn't want to put in print what I wasn't 100% sure of, but there was a building called Waco on Hilliard Road. Road. It's still there, I think. Is it still there even? Yeah. Um, somewhere near, I think, where the Jehovah Witness. Yeah, uh, still there. Okay. So they had a fire truck. Um, oh, yeah, uh, they kept equipment there, at least one truck, uh, just so they'd have something to be on the south side of Hilliard uh, because the, the Norwich Township Fire Station, then it was on, I believe it was still on Norwich Street behind what was then the IGA, was a fire station. Um, I think they moved to north to the fairgrounds. I'm not sure about that, but I think that, that was sometime in the late 1970s, maybe 1980 or so. But they had a fire station behind the IGA. So if the train was blocking Cemetery and Main Street, they had no way to get over to Conklin or over to... Probably um, still would have been volunteer fire department at that time too, huh? I'm not sure about the history of that one. Mm. Um, I, th I, think it was a, I, think, I think it was a paid fire department by, by then. Sharp stuff, man. I loved it. So, I, thought, I thought this week's piece fully written out was probably my favorite so far i really enjoyed it i sure, thought it absolutely. i thought it was a great uh, summation of what what we're trying to do here great interview with uh i'm calling him the chief i'm not sure battalion chief battalion chief they still call the battalion chiefs chief <clears throat> gotcha for the most part <clears throat> um and you know i think it it was uh what did you think tim did you think uh did you find his explanations of what they would do in the situation where there was a derailment, uh, mm -hmm. did you find his explanations credible, worth, you know, 
do you think they would hold water in the event of uh, an emergency? What they reminded me of is what I would do if I happened upon a train derailment. Uh-huh. So I did, definitely don't disagree. It was You would try to save lives first. <clears throat> yeah. Right. I, I, on the hand, you see the thing goes like, oh my God, is there a baby under that? Get the baby out. Right. Okay. <clears throat> now is everyone nearby that car melting? Okay, run away. <laughs> Well, you know, I think what you're pointing out is, like, uh, a lot depends on how well those dominoes fall into each other. How the local agency reports to the NRECC, and then how they then tie in the other resources, drawing in the larger and larger web of resources. You know, what we saw in East Palestine was just how stunted everything felt and how halting everything felt and that was in the case of like a full-blown nightmare two mile long fireball whatever that thing turned out to be like uh people weren't showing up uh with the rapidity that the situation felt like it called for so i think there is an aspect here that is worth digging into you know, we see that, you know, in East Palestine, they had that, you know, whatever. And people tend to think that the response to a disaster of that magnitude was perhaps undersized, underpowered, underwhelming. Well, underfocused, too. I'm just going to say this real quick, and then I want you to get back to your okay. portion, because... You know, they it's come out recently that the initial testing that they were doing for the hazardous chemicals, they were testing specifically for the stuff they were carrying on the car. They weren't testing at all for the stuff that they burned off as a result of the controlled explosion, the dioxins, the really dangerous carcinogens that are created as a result of the combustion of vinyl chloride. So, like, the idea is that the response was, like, lacking in specificity as well because you have to test for what you're looking for you can't just run a lot of generalized tests. Stuff doesn't show up like that. You know, they were looking for a specific set of things. So what is this underlying thing you're kind of showing, the surfacing through The underlying thing this? is, you know, the East Palestine turned into a very particular kind of disaster very quickly. And uh, it takes time to figure out, all right, what exactly is going on? What are our options? You know, you want... Like a large, you want someone to be in charge who knows what they're doing when you have a huge vinyl chloride spill. But there's not a vinyl chloride spill expert in every town. So what you have here is Hilliard is what it is. We live here on purpose. It's a cool place, and pretty much whenever there is something that goes wrong, our emergency personnel are. are you know, you don't hear about things getting out of control. You don't hear about disasters. So, uh, you know, if a disaster or emergency situation happens, you know, they have their their principles that they do. And, sorry, and that's kind of what he explained in the article. Yeah. He was describing the principles for responding to really kind of any emergency. Absolutely. These guys are committed professionals. And, you know... Even in the most unimaginable disaster, you're going to see these people defy the expectations and run into danger more often than anything else, you know. So, 
the idea that people wouldn't do that is not one that sprang to my mind. Like, I wasn't worried about people being professional in their jobs or anything like that. Right. What I was saying and mentioning earlier was just, like, how does that how does that domino effect work, and does it work well? And I think as we're seeing more and more heat build around these issues of, you know, trains, and, you know, like Kevin mentioned, I think, last time, we talked about it a little bit briefly at the end of the last episode, is that, a lot of the numbers are relatively similar from year to year. Like, a lot of trains come off these rails, right? Sure. But that was a big one. That was a dangerous one. It remains a dangerous situation. And both parties are starting to rotate around it as a political issue. Right. Which is ratcheting up a lot of the other discourse around it and the awareness around it we might actually see some significant policy change. Because I think what we might be seeing here is, once again, not like an isolated incident, but the starting to come due of a bill for a sustained attack on the level of regulation that national rail does uh, and functions under. Right. There has been a significant effort over... 40 years and enhanced since the inclusion of different ownership structures over railroads, which more strongly have enhanced the profit motive as the principal reason. Mm. You know, you read about combined across different ownership groups, $8 billion worth of stock buybacks. I mean, that's money that maybe should have been reinvested into your huge industrial business that's got tracks that are 70 years old and lots of things that can go wrong. Um, you know, they've lobbied strongly for, and let me just say real quick, hat tip to this guy, Hey John Russell on uh, Twitter, TikTok, and all these other places. He's done some really intrepid uh, independent reporting on this. And hmm. He's on Substack as well. And I would love to talk to him. Um, you know, talking about train length. Okay, these things are two miles long now. Mm-hmm. A lot can go wrong in two miles when you only have one person on that train. Right. Uh, a lot can go wrong when you're supposed to be inspecting cars for defects and, and dangerous faults. And the railroads have asked you that it, instead of doing this job in three minutes per car, which I think is still ludicrous, they ask you to do it now in 90 seconds. Mm-hmm. You know, these are the kind of changes that over time add up to more and more externalized risk for the communities that these things operate in and through. Because what we see is, all right, we are certainly capable with our cargoes and our transportation of creating emergencies that no reasonable municipality should be expected to be stoked to have rolling through their town. (laughs) So, you know, those, those efforts at disaster mitigation have to come in the form of prevention rather than beefing up any municipal, uh, emergency service to be able right. to handle multiple tanks of horrendous chemicals exploding right. in their town. Yes, I agree. Uh, one of the uh, one of the other things that's come out of this is now there's um, developing quite a bit of national interest in the, the two senators, Vance and Sherrod Brown. Are like I said, they're starting to angle in on this situation from different perspectives, right? Trying to represent different views uh, on how this problem gets solved. But what they're coming up with immediately are new train rules. Like, that's it. We're doing new train rules. You guys are going to get 
some of this right now. I'll read through a couple of those. Uh, they are working for the rail race, railway. Ooh, excuse me, that's a tough one. I gotta watch that. Railway Safety Act of 2023, and uh, necessary changes included in the act are requirements that all rail carriers with trains carrying hazardous materials, even those that do not fall under existing res- regulations for high hazard flammable shipments. They talked about this a lot. Class two, class this. You know, people had gotten around certain safety regulations for transporting stuff in these longer trains by classifying them slightly less hazardous, slightly more hazardous. Did you hear anything from uh, the battalion chief about hazardous materials, particularly traveling through the city that you knew, that you felt you could tell us about? No, uh, I asked Chief Grile about that. It's in the it's in the story, and that response didn't surprise me that the rail companies don't tell anybody ahead of time exactly what's going through a community. I don't know if there's a feasible way to even do that, I suppose. And, but I think between the particularly derailment in East Palestine, that maybe some of these communities are going to start asking, Hey, we want to know what these rail companies um, are bringing through. Um, uh, I mean, utilities are pretty autonomous. Um, Right. Um, uh, and the railroad's one of the oldest there is. I mean, we we saw earlier when they crushed that attempt at a labor strike, they used a lot of regulations that were written in the 1800s. I mean, that yeah. stuff is something um, else. The uh, gold mine of archaic yes, legislation. Archaic exploitation. <laughs> to, 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 um, a a to different example uh, goes back five or seven years ago, and um, it stemmed from the electricity blackout in upstate New York. Uh, a, uh, electric companies need a certain amount of distance uh, from treetops. And I learned uh, in covering that, that the humidity, the weather, the air pressure, all sorts of things, these wires um, sag. move and sag. Mm-hmm. Or, or, and they don't always sag the this, this same distance. So electric companies uh, require a certain um, distance. Um, clearances. Uh, clearances. And they will come through and make those clearances happen uh, on whatever schedule they have. And that's what they do. And uh, there were some residents and some subdivisions in Hilliard that were not happy. And they came to the city and said, what's going on? Because they didn't necessarily know mm-hmm. anything about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they'll, they'll cut the tops of trees off. And it isn't always made to look pretty when they right. do it. Uh, their goal is just to make sure the tree doesn't get disturbed. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the response from some of the city officials were, that's the utility companies, and they do what they do, and that's it. Right. Um, so um, I think we can probably find examples if we look up of, of railroads that just say, this is what we're, this is what we're doing. Sure. So um, <coughs> it would appear in the coverage from East Palestine that some of the residents and even officials up there weren't necessarily pleased with the timing and the amount of response um, from from the rail company. So uh, I haven't seen clear examples of it, but you might see legislation or, or efforts being made to that, that rail companies make aware in some fashion uh, what what the cargo is going through a town. But, yeah, um, they, they go on to say, there's a couple more of these rules here I want to get out to you guys and the <clears throat> listeners. Um, 
these, uh, even those that don't fall under the highly flammable uh, shipments, they must create, and this maybe speaks to what we were concerned about just a few minutes ago, you must create emergency response plans and provide information and advance notification to the emergency response commissions of each state through which a train will pass. Hmm. They are carrying certain materials of a quality, apparently distinct, uh, distinct and distinguished in the actual language <coughs> of the bill would also set train crews at a two-person minimum, require the Department of Transportation to take another look at rules on train size, weight, and length. It would set a requirement for installing, maintaining, and placing devices that detect overheated bearings and other mechanical problems, mandate that they be scanned every 10 miles. A lot of those have already been put in, but they, this would add more. Uh, under the proposed act, the Railroad Administration would be required to update inspection regulations, ensure rail cars carrying hazardous materials receive regular checks by specially trained experts. It sounds like a lot of, quote, why weren't we already doing this, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, and I think, you know, the history of railroads is that they were these exploratory tendrils mm. into the West you know, from Ohio, from the Ohio Territory West, uh, railroads were not built in established areas to go from point to point. They were built to explore. Yeah, they were you built know. to extend our reach. Yeah, find those frontiers. You know, and essentially, and, you know, the the it's not like we were trying to find other civilizations. We were <laughs> bringing back materials right. from the lands through which we. I mean, yeah. Once Upon a Time in the West, that's one of the great movies of all time. Bronson, Harmonica, right? <laughs> and that's about, I mean, essentially that's about uh, a guy who knew to grab land on a railroad line. And he knew that if he put his stuff there, his ship was going to come in. He got killed for it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, these things were speculative investments at one point. Um, there was an apogee to them. Uh, and they carry more freight now than ever. Mm -hmm. But like as an organized labor and, and industry in America, that apogee is past. We are now at a stage of ownership of these railroads where the ownership is <coughs> highly concentrated, highly consolidated, mm -hmm. and largely focused on profit making. And you know, this is the kind of thing where we can make more regulations, we can make more requests, we can make more laws, uh, but we need to attack the core of what is driving all these knock-on effects, I think. That's my statement on it. Any last word on the railroad story there, Timothy? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No no, pithy jokes or I anything? Don't have you don't pithy... have any railroad material? Jeez. Nothing. You've been to all these comedies. You want to hear that story about the uh, the uh, spring solstice overnight trip from Petersburg to Moscow? <laughs> Is that Bert Kreischer? No, that's me. Oh, yeah, I have one of those. Oh, that's that is an excellent candidate for something behind the paywall. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, how about you? Did you uh, did you enjoy this? You think you'll be following up on this one with the with the uh, battalion chief or with city council. I know that I had spoke with a couple members of city council. I wrote them an open letter uh, asking them to make contact with the railroads and uh, find out what they could find out and deliver some type of report. Maybe just follow up on that then. Um, I don't 
maybe there's follow up on that. Uh, the answers I got from the fire department were kind of what I expected. I just thought it would be a good, uh, a, a good story to localize. Um, hey, what if East Palestine? What if what happened East Palestine happens here? I mean, that's the story I would have proposed writing in the Northwest News. Yeah. And um, and I hope you keep doing it. And, and I, I hope you keep picking those yourself because I think you're doing a great job being your own editor and your own driver on this stuff. And, you know, I, I love batting ideas around for you, but you know, continue uh, to continue to pilot your ship, my friend. Thank you. Bringing in some of the history from the two derailments. Um, uh, those bo- those were two I was aware of. I just looked up the details about the number of boxcars and such. Sure. I didn't know that. Got to get the color. <laughs> Got to get the color. Um, yeah. So. Uh, that, that was also a vehicle, a way to introduce that part of the story. Um, and just talking about trains cutting the city off. Um, I mean, anyone my age can uh, remember that. In fact, the uh, the train would cut the July 4th parade off. So you, you kind of had to have somebody. Oh, it would. Oh, no. <laughs> so the Boy Scouts marching in the 4th of, uh, 4th of July parade. Uh, I, mean, the, the lights, the, I mean, the lights went off and the train blew its whistle, but... Uh, but you still had people looking down. There's a train coming down the track. It'll be here in a few minutes. I mean, you had to. Yeah, yeah, would. <laughs> so I guess the rest of the parade went on and left the other half behind. I don't know if they slowed down or you just maybe had two two parades, two halves of a parade. But we have um, an intermission. <laughs> intermission. <laughs> but Amazing. the train, uh, the, the the trains in Hilliard are uh, part of our uh, part of our heritage. Yeah, and I think I think they'll stay culture. that way. I I I see a beautiful future for rail. <clears throat> if uh, if we get our hands around what makes it a bad present, you know, we got to fix what's wrong with these things uh, before they before they cost us uh, dearly and right here at home. So you know, it's just about putting uh, putting our priorities uh, into into the right things. I think. And I'm I, assuming I, the statute of limitations had expired, but when I would walk home from Hillary Middle School with some friends, we would leave the middle school and walk along the train tracks and then come out where the Sure. Where your donut shop is, Perfect. or or some of them would cut out. Uh, they they lived on Jeanette Road or Westbrook, so they would just cut through a backyard and pop out on right before the water pop tower. out on Westbrook. Yeah. yeah, and there'd be trains stopped along there. I mean, that was that was trespassing, but uh, sure, but we, we walked. I won't tell you how I walked to the warehouse all the time from the donut <laughs> shop. I mean, you know, it's not like there's a huge path right there. <laughs> I think you know, and I'll just throw this in here right at the end. I think. Uh, that land, that CSX, or not CSX, that Norfolk Southern empty land. Uh, I know the city's got hopes for it. I know I have personal hopes for it. I know a lot of uh, people with bikes have a lot of hopes for it. What I hope, uh, above all, is that anything that happens along that uh, strip of land remains fully uh, dedicated to public use and uh, the city of Hilliard. So, um, do you guys have anything else to drop in here right at the end? Please join us on the Substack. You can always subscribe uh, through the links that we share. We'll be dropping, I believe, uh, this podcast link into Hilliard People in the Know. So we're getting in the ring, everybody. Here we go. Stepping into the majors. Going to show these people how we do things downtown. Downtown. Thank you for your time and attention. Everybody have a great one. We'll see you next week. Wonderful. Guys, it's almost like we're getting good at this.